You're listening to the Plain Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carl Stebbings and Simon Walton. Hello, this is Max Flight, welcoming you to the Plain Talking UK podcast. Uh, Carl, are you there? Are you going to join in and help me out here? Yes, of course, Max. I'm here with you. Don't don't uh, panic. I'm definitely here. So uh, as you probably tell by the uh, voice at the beginning of the show there, uh, and I've got Max Flight on uh, Skype to uh, help me uh, co-host the show today. So welcome to the show, Max. Carl, it's a privilege uh, and a pleasure. I've been uh, listening, of course, to your show, and it's uh, it's really gotten to be quite good and uh, really? well done. Uh, and you're you're achieving great success, I assume. <laughs> well, I hope so. I hope so. We uh, we do tend to keep our uh, keep our eye on uh, where the downloads and stuff are coming from, and uh, we seem to be reaching quite a few uh, areas of the of the of the globe, which is good. Outstanding. Yeah, it's amazing how uh, the audience is, is so global. When you start talking aviation, people all over the world are interested in, in learning about it and uh, experiencing it in all its different forms and, and shapes and all. So, yeah, it's, it's a great audience. I think the, I think the airline and uh, aviation fans and uh, enthusiasts and professionals are a, a really exciting bunch of folks engaged. And it's always, uh, it's always fun to talk aviation. Oh, I know. There's some great podcasts out there, Max, and, and obviously including your own. And uh, you've you've been uh, busy this morning already, haven't you? Uh, editing uh, a certain other podcast, which you, uh, you which you're on. Yes, David Vanderhoof and I do the UAV Digest. We ended up talking about drones so much on Airplane Geeks that David and I decided that it really warranted its uh, its own show. So uh, we've been doing that for, well, gee, you know, it's been a little over a year now uh, and there's uh, n- never any shortage of uh, things to talk about when it comes to UAVs and unmanned aircraft. Brilliant. So, Max, you're joining us then for episode number 32 uh, of the podcast. Uh, we're, we're trying to catch you up, Max, but I think it's going to take us uh, quite a while to catch you up. You're, I think you're now on, ep- what is it, 300 and... 17, 317. 317, Max. Blimey. I know, it's hard to believe. Is it is it hard to get you guys together to produce a show each week, or do you kind of just sort of all uh, aim for a time and say, right, guys, that we're starting at this time, make sure you're on Skype? That's it. It's the same time every week, so that lets everyone <laughs> build their lives around that sort of fixed commitment. Uh, occasionally, someone can't make it, but uh, most of the time, all three of us do. And uh, we just kind of keep doing it week after week. And our, our spouses seem to keep putting up with it or with us. And so uh, we just keep rolling along. Excellent. So, Max, uh, you're going to uh, join me then for uh, 45 minutes. We're going to make it a short show this week. But we have got some news feeds to go through. And uh, Max might have a little bit of uh, a few bits of news as well from his side of the pond. Hopefully, have you got, have you got any sort of snippets of news from your side of the pond, Max? It's been kind of a quiet week, at least from the airline side. Uh, back, back to unmanned, though, we have had a few interesting uh, developments on the UAV side of things. So if we have time, maybe we can talk about a few of those. Excellent. So we're going to start the show off then, as we always do each week, uh, with our rundown of a few bits of news from around uh, the UK, from the airports and airlines, and some bit uh, bits of news from across the pond as well. So if you're ready, Max... Let's do it. Let's do it.
Okay, so kicking us off uh, this week then, uh, we've got some news on the Search ITCM site. This is regarding Southampton Airport, uh, one of our local airports here in the UK. And uh, they're welcoming or welcomed 200,000 passengers in August of this year. Uh, They've seen more than 200,000 passengers pass through their doors in August, the highest uh, number in a single month since August 2007, and representing a 3% increase in passengers over 2013. The route with the largest growth on year was Guernsey, with an increase of 53% more passengers. Jan Halliday, Director of Marketing and Communications, uh, said that we have seen a 3% growth in our passenger numbers in August 2014 versus the same month in 2013. It's also the first time that over 200,000 passengers have used the airport in one month since 2007. And uh, this is great news for Southampton Airport, uh, Max, because this is one of our growing airports here in the UK, and it's getting quite a popular airport uh, for people to fly from because the destinations are increasing uh, more and more uh, over the years. Um, it's uh, probably not too much far drive, it's a couple of hours drive from here. Um, but it's also an airport uh, that's, funnily enough, Max, owned by uh, a large, very large haulage company here in the UK. Hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting that uh, all of the forecasts that you see predict rising passenger growth year after year after year, which uh, has implications, obviously, for, well, the airlines, but also the airports because they have to handle more passengers. And, you know, the the, the flying public is becoming, uh, well, more and more demanding when it comes to I think services and uh, expectations they have for all that time they spend in airports, and and so uh, the airports do have to kind of step up uh, and provide thing you know connectivity, internet connectivity, and uh, services, food, things like that that uh, passengers expect. It's uh, it's almost like setting up a little city you know inside that airport, mm. and people are are more and more looking for the amenities and things that they uh, experience outside of the airport. So Southampton Airport, uh, Max, one of the airlines that actually flies from there is uh, our very own EasyJet, uh, a low-cost carrier. Uh, mm. R- Ryanair have yet to uh, to jump in there yet. But uh, no, it's it's a great airport. Um, I'm yet to fly from there. I've been past there quite a few times. But uh, what's your uh, your closest airport nearest to you, Max? Uh, that would be Bradley uh, International Airport, uh, which it's called an international airport, and there are usually at least one international flights that let them continue with that, uh, with that title. But it's a relatively small uh, airport, but it's been around for, oh, a long time, years and years and years. Uh, and it's seen some significant growth in the recent uh, past. Sounds like uh, our, our local airport here, near us here, uh, Norwich International Airport, which we talk about quite frequently on the show. Um, I think they call it an international airport because they do have obviously very strong links with Amsterdam at Schiphol, which is uh, a quite yeah. a huge hub. But uh, other than that, I mean, it's uh, it is a small airport. You know, uh, there's not a huge amount of uh, traffic flies out of there each day. Um, but uh, I'm hoping that they'll bring in some more routes from there. I'm, I'm, we're hoping there was a talk, uh, some a rumor that possibly EasyJet might uh, might go into Norwich Airport, which would be absolutely fantastic for this area. Yeah, that would change things quite a bit, I would think. 
Yeah, definitely for us, definitely for us. Um, the only thing we have at Norwich Airport, unfortunately, Max, is a, is a £10 passenger uh, char- surcharge. I uh, don't know whether you have a, a similar sort of thing in the US. Uh, some airports do some, you know, they call them different things. It's different ways of taxing people <laughs> one way or the other, it seems. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll get creative with what they call it or uh, how they uh, apply it, but uh, you know they're always trying to find ways to get a little bit more out of you. Yeah, and including the flight prices, which are astronomical to fly from our local airport. They always bung the extra extra hundred pounds on top to uh, to have to be able to fly so close to home. But I like Stansted. Stansted's nice. It's close. It's only an hour away. Um, Stansted is becoming well, it's, it's the third the third biggest in the UK now. I think Man- uh, Stansted is sorry, um, with of course uh, Gatwick and Heathrow. Um, obviously being the largest airport to most uh, gross flights aircraft uh, in the UK. Have you uh, flown into Gatwick or Heathrow before? Uh, Many, many years ago uh, when I was uh, much younger, I would say. (laughs) It's been quite a while. Oh, you should come across and see us all, Max. You should definitely come across and see us all here. I think that would be a great trip. (sighs) So next piece of news then, moving on, is the business traveler site, this one. And this is Thai Airways. And they're to fly the Boeing 747 to Heathrow. Uh, they're going to roster a 747-400 onto their double daily Bangkok to London Heathrow service from October the 26th. Uh, the Jumbo Jet is going to replace the incumbent A340-600 on flights TG910 and TG916 to London and the respective TG911 and TG917 return services to Bangkok. In terms of capacity change, both first and economy class will see significant increase in seats available, while the business class cabins will be downsized. This is something we've with, with, um, seen quite a lot now, Max. Uh, quite a, a number of airlines are starting to phase out the A340s um, mm. and replace them with either like the, the 747 or newer aircraft, such as the uh, 787. Um, is there a the number of airlines? Is there a lot of airlines in the US that fly the 340? Uh, it's it's relatively rare. You don't see mm. it very often. Uh, I, I have flown it before. I was one of those people that I kind of liked the A340. Um, it, uh, it, it has some characteristics that I think as a passenger, uh, are, are kind of appealing. Uh, it's, it's, it's got some issues too. It's, you know, it's a bit older, uh, technology, um, in, in terms of fuel efficiency and so forth. Uh, but I mean, the airlines are looking for, uh, you know, high, uh, high density, uh, they're looking for uh, high yield factors. And, uh, some of the, some of the airlines these days are getting amazing yields, uh, just filling every seat, and um, if you can do that, and then if you can do that with a larger aircraft, uh, even even better. And I think that's what we're seeing here with uh, Thai Airways. Yeah, because BA across here uh, in the UK, British Airways are uh, phasing out uh, quite a few of their seven four seven four hundreds now. Uh, they're quite some of those are uh, quite an old aircraft. Um, a brilliant, mm. a brilliant aircraft though. They've lasted. They really have lasted their time. Uh, but it was quite sad to see uh, someone on Facebook had posted a few pictures um, the other day of uh, Victorville, which I think is yes. uh, your side of the pond. And uh, in sort of the background, you could see um, quite a few BA 747-400 sitting there, obviously still with the livery on the side. And you could see that they were there, which is a shame. I think it's, it's a terrible waste when you see those aircraft sitting in the desert there, um, which will probably never, never fly again. 
Yeah, sometimes they do. I mean, if uh, someone is uh, looking for a 747-400 or any other aircraft that's uh, been parked out there, uh, you can usually get a pretty good uh, deal on that. Uh, the Whoever owns that, whether it's uh, an airline or a leasing company more likely, uh, is more than happy usually to uh, you know offer that for sale if it's something that fits with the mission that you have in mind. Uh, another thing that happens with those sometimes is they're used for spare parts. Mm. Uh, the, uh, the, the spare parts market uh, can get uh, flooded with availability of material from these kinds of uh, parked planes. It, uh, it, it's not a good thing for the, the OEMs because it, it depresses the prices, makes new parts, new spares uh, very expensive relative to what you can get by cannibalizing something that's parked out on the desert. Uh, but if you're an operator, it's uh, it's a great way to lower your maintenance costs by using these uh, used or cannibalized parts. Mm, it is a shame to see, especially for me to see the uh, TriStars out there, Max, because I do buy, oh, yeah. I do go on a lot about the TriStar, but it's such an awesome aircraft. And it, uh, obviously, as you know, the RAF over here um, got rid of theirs early this year, uh, replaced by the A330, which is a, a great workhorse in itself as well. But uh, I, I did see a, uh, a post on Facebook just the other day that uh, a few of the XREF TriStars are up for sale. Uh, I think one of them was up for about uh, $700,000 uh, to Amazing. purchase. <laughs> but uh, the, the advert actually stated that they are, they are rather, they're quite low-hour aircraft. Um, but I do miss the TriStar. And um, mm. obviously Delta had uh, had a lot of those over in the States. And you do see a lot of those parked out in the desert. Um, I think one of, the, one of the things I've always said to uh, my wife Gemma is that I'd love to uh, come over to the States. And do they do, they do tours, guided tours around um, those, those kind of boneyards? Uh, sometimes they do. Uh, the, uh, the military uh, areas are a little bit more restrictive. Used to be mm. that you could uh, spend a lot of time walking amongst some some pretty amazing military aircraft, but uh, after September 11th all that changed of course and uh, there's uh, much uh, much more uh, restriction. So e- even driving around the outside and looking through the fence uh, can can be fun, not as not <laughs> as much as getting inside the fence, but uh, it's it's often worth a look. Oh, I could spend hours there, Max, just walking around those aircraft. I really could. That would be a week's holiday for me. But not the uh, yeah, very so. easily. Yeah, the, we were at once. Uh, when I say we, I mean my wife and I were at the the, the Pima um, Air and Space Museum, uh, which is across the, the street in Arizona from uh, a, a large boneyard, and it, it was an example again of of where we we couldn't go in there. But just, you know, looking across the fence, oh, wow. uh, you could uh, see uh, just A-10, rows and rows of A-10s and uh, F-16s and other older military aircraft. It's, uh, you know, like you say, it's kind of sad to, to see all these aircraft parked, but it's also kind of exciting just to, to see them. And there's kind of an eeriness to it, you know. Mm-hmm. There's planes that really want to fly, you know, and they're just uh, parked in rows. It's kind of an odd sensation, but it's, uh, it, it's kind of an exciting trip. And, you know, it's worth, it's worth taking a look at if you're ever near one of those uh, boneyards. Put that on the list for next year, I think, on the holiday list, <laughs> definitely. For sure. So the next piece of news then on the Travel Mall site then, this is uh, regarding EasyJet. 
and uh, EasyJet have done a deal with Airbus to exercise existing purchase rights over 27 A320 aircraft, therefore delivery between 2015 and 2018. The airline has said that the agreement gives the, the flexibility to continue uh, to execute its proven strategy of discipline growth and take advantage of profitable market opportunities. It means EasyJet is expected to have a fleet of 304 aircraft by 2019. The A320 aircraft delivers a cost per seat improvement of between 7% and 8% compared to the A319 aircraft. So come on then Max, what's your favourite between these two uh, up and coming new aircraft? The A320neo or uh, do you like the uh, 737 Max? Uh, (laughs) Max. The, the 737 MAX, uh, see, I look at it from an engine standpoint, okay, of course, okay. since that's uh, uh, what I spent my career uh, doing. The the 737 MAX only comes with the uh, CFM LeapX engine. Mm. Uh, as with the uh, the classic 737s, uh, uh, CFM enjoys a uh, exclusivity agreement with Boeing on the, on the 737, uh, of course, a lot of folks wondered, would that extend to the 737 MAX? And I guess it was determined that the contract that they had uh, did uh, continue that exclusivity. So it, it only is, is available with that with that one engine. The A320neo, on the other hand, uh, gives you a, an option, either the same or very similar uh, CFM LeapX engine uh, or the, the Pratt & Whitty geared turbofan. Uh, and uh, so you, you have that choice. Um, I, I'm just excited to see that in both cases, the efficiency of the new aircraft is so significantly higher. You know, in the past, if an airline could get uh, 1% or 2% improvement in fuel economy, they were really happy because that translated into millions of dollars per year of savings uh, per aircraft. Uh, but now we see with the newer technologies this double-digit increase in, uh, in, in fuel efficiency, uh, it's something in the teens depending on uh, uh, the sort of what the arrangement is. Uh, that's just gigantic when it comes to airliners. And, and I, th- I think that's great. I mean, we want to uh, be as green as possible, right? Oh, the uh, airline industry contributes, you know, a significant amount of, of greenhouse gases to the Atmosphere. I mean, small in terms of percentage of total worldwide, but it it still is in the generally you see around five percent range, and that's that's not insignificant. So it's I think it's really good to see that you know our industry is is taking some steps to to change that. Oh, definitely, I I can always remember back uh, many years ago when. Uh, we used to fly to Malta with Air Malta, and uh, Air Malta used to have the seven seven zero seven, and yes. that was powered. I, th- I think it was the Pratt and Whitney JT eight D, the JT three D, JT three D. That's it. Yeah, even before the eight D. And always remember seeing those flying out of uh, Luca Airport and seeing the trails of black smoke coming from those uh, those engines oh, yeah. as, the, as the aircraft um, w- was powering away from the runway. And nowadays, when you're at uh, the airports and you see these lot newer aircraft, you know the seven three seven eight hundreds and the nine hundreds and the and the Airbuses, the three twenties, that that sort of that kind of smoke is not there. But obviously, the pollution is is still there, but in a lot 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 less uh, uh, lot lesser form. Do you think? 
Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, the the improvement over the years has been uh, significant. Yeah, the, those 707s, and that's basically the same engine that was on the uh, the B-52s. And mm. of course, when you see a B-52 take off, it's got it's got a lot of those <laughs> engines on it, and it, it trails a lot of a lot of smoke. Uh, so emissions is one thing. Uh, noise is another. The mm. uh, aircraft these days are much much quieter. Uh, you stand under even a, an A380. Uh, flying overhead at uh, at a low altitude, and it's uh, incredibly quiet. It's it's almost shockingly quiet, uh, considering how much uh, power is being generated by those engines. Yeah, they had a uh, we had a treat actually at the Duxford Air Show a few weekends ago. Max, we had uh, mm-hmm. the seven two seven two hundred from the I forget the name of the company now. It was a, a chemical spill company. Um, hmm. I, I think I put some pictures on the Facebook page, but they uh, they had done a fly pass with a seven two seven. It had the hush kits fitted, um, which you can obviously you can tell when they've got the hush kits fitted on the back. But uh, still, a, still a noisy aircraft, and it was great to hear that noise from those engines anyway, because um, the seven two seven was also a really awesome aircraft in its time, and has it proved its uh, proved its worth by still being used um, today by airlines. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, with those JTAD engines. Yes, uh, that was. Uh, I, I think I spent more total hours in in seven two sevens than probably any other aircraft uh, over the years. Oh, definitely. I've, 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 one, once I've been of those many years ago as a child, and just remember. So, next piece of news. Moving on, then the Hearts and Essex Observer, and this is uh, about Pegasus Airlines, and they're launching routes from our very own London Stansted Airport to Egypt. Egypt being a very popular destination uh, in the UK here. Uh, They're going to be launching their routes uh, to Egypt from Stansted next month. And uh, they're set to jet off to Sharm el-Sheikh and Hurraghaha in Egypt from October the 23rd. Fares are going to start at just £99 one way for the London to Hurraghaha flight via Istanbul in Turkey. The... uh, Additional of Sharm el-Sheikh and Hurdara flight to network of Pegasus uh, will now fly to a total of 86 destinations in 36 countries. Um, getting to be quite a popular airline over here as well now, uh, Max. The Pegasus Airlines, uh, kind of a kind of a sort of a kind of low cost, uh, low cost kind of airline, um, starting to build themselves up now with more and more routes as well. Um, which is always good to see some competition. I, I think it's great to see these these airlines coming, you know, giving some competition to the likes of sort of Ryanair and EasyJet. It uh, helps, I think, to drive the prices down um, with EasyJet and Ryanair. Yeah, sure. Ninety nine pounds. That sounds like a, a pretty reasonably low <laughs> price. Is that uh, uh, as low over over uh, over there as it sounds to me over here? It is low. I mean, Ryanair have uh, they've advertised some quite low fares just recently on on their website, but uh, there is quite a large list of uh, stipulations and uh, things you have to do and not do uh, when you purchase these tickets. So you do have to be careful and read in. Um, but I don't think Pegasus Airlines are like that. I think they're um, they're quite a good airline when it comes to things like that. But uh, great to see another uh, route then from Stansted to Egypt. Like I said, Egypt, uh, a popular destination, Max, here uh, for holidaymakers. Uh, I take it you've, uh, you've not ventured to Egypt before? No, I've been to a lot of countries 
but uh, not so much in the Middle East. Uh, Saudi Arabia, I think, is. Uh, yeah, I think that's the only country I've been to in that region. Uh, most of my travels to Asia uh, and and some to Europe, mm. uh, but uh, uh, that was uh, all business related. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, it, it, I, I I used to love uh, business trips, and uh, the people would always say to me, you know, you're going to get tired of it. You you, you like all the travel. Uh, at the beginning because it's exciting and you get to see new places. But after a while that, you know, will will sort of wear on you and, and become more drudgery than excitement. And you know what? That never happened for me for <laughs> years and years and years, you know, uh, suddenly find out I've got to fly from uh, New York to, uh, to Narita to Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and most people would cringe at, uh, at such a long flight and the, uh, I was always excited about that. It's like, great, I'm ready. I'm already packed. Let's go. Uh, I, just, uh, I always enjoyed air travel. Oh, me too. Uh, we've uh, we've just we've booked uh, to go back to Oman uh, next month, uh, just mm. for a week. Uh, we went out there in January. We done a, a week in Dubai and a week in Oman. Uh, we stayed at th- stayed with friends in Oman. Um, we had a week's holiday, so we thought we'd go back and uh, see our friends again in Oman. So we're going next month and uh, kind of looking forward to the flights, Max. Really looking forward to the flying part. <laughs> Pe- people at work are kind of, uh, it's eight hours. How could you enjoy sitting on a plane for eight hours? And I'm, I'm kind of sitting there thinking to myself, this, I'll enjoy it. Trust me, I will enjoy it. But we're flying with Emirates. Uh, oh, at, that should be uh, nice. From uh, Heathrow to Dubai, and then uh, we're flying. Uh, that's on the three eighty, so that'll be uh, that'll be awesome. That'll be my um, my second time on the three eighty now. Mm. Um, and then the th- Airbus A three thirty from uh, Dubai to Oman. Uh, coming home uh, with Emirates again to uh, from Oman to Dubai, but with the uh, the route from Dubai to Heathrow uh, is actually with Qantas uh, on their three eighty. Oh. Um, due to uh, Emirates uh, code sharing, as you probably know, with uh, with Qantas, right? But uh, very much looking forward to that, Max. That's uh, only a few weeks away, um, so <laughs> I shall be um, I shall be uh, like a child in a sweet shop. I think uh, when I, okay. uh, it, I do, I find it still even after all these years, Max. I mean, I'm 38 now, and um, you know, we 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 have we have a few holidays each year, and I still. Get such a huge buzz traveling to and being at the airport, uh, getting ready to fly. Is it the same with you? Yeah, I, I love airports, uh, except for the security aspects of it. But uh, once you're beyond that, uh, I, I love uh, airports. I don't really mind hanging out uh, at airport, waiting for the flight. There's always interesting people to watch. And uh, you can always, you know, look out the window and watch the the airplanes. There's, I don't know, there's so much to do. I'm never bored at an airport. That's uh, that's for sure. And and if it's an exceptionally long wait, well, then I can always just, you know, slump in the seat and fall asleep. Which or listen to a podcast. To to <laughs> or put a podcast on. Download a podcast. There's always something to listen to. Oh, that's yes, right. Yeah. It, there's uh, life's uh, so short, and there's so many hours of podcasts to listen to. <laughs> So moving on then, the ETN Global Travel Industry News Site and a bit of news this week about Virgin Atlantic, uh, the first European operator for the Boeing 787-9. So Virgin Atlantic uh, have set to be, or they are the first European operator of the new Boeing 787-9. 
they're going to deploy the aircraft en route from London Heathrow to Boston from October the 28th and Washington from December the 17th this year. And then next year, they're going to have uh, routes to Newark, uh, that's starting from January the 19th, and New York from February the 28th next year. Virgin Atlantic Airways will also celebrate uh, the 30th anniversary of its launch by introducing the Boeing 7879 Dreamliner on its old England New England route uh, between London and Boston, uh, which is, will be this winter. The airline's first 7879 is currently in the assembly process and is due to roll out and fly this month and will be delivered to the airline in October 2014. The aircraft, as uh, all Virgin aircraft are named after uh, girls, uh, the aircraft is going to be named Birthday Girl and uh, as we said will enter service on October the 28th this year in October and on the six times weekly London Heathrow to Boston Logan route replacing the uh, Airbus A330 and A340s that currently service that route. Uh, that would be great to see that. Uh, I've looked at the pictures online Max of the uh, 787 with the Virgin livery on and that looks pretty awesome. Yeah it does. Uh, you know I'm seriously considering finding anyone that uh, flies a 787 uh, near me and just book a trip and and go wherever it is they go because i i really want to get on a 787 and uh, and see what that experience is like uh, i've heard uh, some from family members who um flew with thompson in the uk here uh to mexico when they put uh, their first new aircraft on that route and uh they said pretty much what we'd, we'd heard from the reports which is that they got to the other end uh, at Mexico after the flight feeling completely different to what they would do um, mm. as opposed to flying on a standard aircraft which is which is obviously as we most of us know is, is down to the cabin pressurization um, right. on the aircraft um, but there they said it was a really really good flight and they thoroughly enjoyed it um, we were supposed to fly back uh, from uh, Dubai last year Oh, sorry, this year, sorry, in January, um, with uh, Qatar on their 787. Um, but it ended up being an A330, uh, which I was quite disappointed about. Yeah. My, my wife couldn't understand why I looked so sad. <laughs> but I said, <laughs> they've got the tickets here with the word 787 Dreamliner on. and um, But it was good. It was my first time on a 330, so I can't complain. It was still a good yeah, flight. Sure. It was still a good flight. Well, so, Boeing did an interesting thing when they were, were first designing the the Dreamliner, and that is they really listened to their customers in a way that I just really hadn't seen before. I mean, I think you know most companies will do focus groups when looking at designing a new product or providing mm -hmm. a new service, but Boeing went further than that. Boeing had an online group of of folks, and you know, honestly, I don't remember how I got myself into that group, but uh, there were a lot of people that uh, that did that. Wow. And Boeing would uh, periodically uh, communicate with with us and ask us questions, uh, have us you know fill out little questionnaire. <clears throat> Excuse me, have us fill out little questionnaires, and 
you know, give us an opportunity to express thoughts on a variety of different things. I mean, you know, they, they might do a whole thing just on the, uh, on the labs and ask questions about, you know, what, what are your expectations? What do you look for? What have your, you know, positive and negative experience has been. And then just in all other aspects, seating, the other cabin issues, uh, and, and they really reached out to their customers to find out what are people looking for, what are people need, and then they incorporated a lot of that into the into the design, and it's uh, it was really kind of an engaging experience because you felt like you were contributing something to the design of you know this major new airliner, and uh, and I think the result sort of speaks for itself, like as you say, mm. when you. Uh, uh, you know, you, you can tell that it's been designed around the experience that you have as a passenger. And uh, I, I really got to give Boeing a lot of credit for, for doing that. So we talked about this on our show quite a few times as, as you help uh, self on the airplane geeks as well, Max. Do you think um, Boeing have ironed out now all the the sort of the, the, the creases, the niggly bits they've had with the 787 when they started? I guess I would say probably, and I certainly hope so, because they they uh, they need to uh, get on with sort of stable, uh, you know, production and uh, and really uh, revenue and profit. You know, it it costs billions to bring a a new airplane to market, and it takes years and years to recover just the development costs, let alone the um, start to make a profit on the thing. Um, certainly, they have not made any profit on the seven eight seven yet. <laughs> we haven't reached those those numbers yet. And when you have problems that ca- you know cause you to go back and do some redesigns or or make changes to the fleet and and that sort of thing, it, it adds a lot of expense and it just delays the the break even point um, for that uh, for that aircraft. So, yeah, they they need to. Uh, get on with the, uh, you know, sort of stable delivery of uh, reliable aircraft. And I think they're, they're there. The whole battery issue was, uh, was kind of a, a big, uh, stumbling block. And that, that one worries me a little bit in that they never really mm, determined yeah. true root cause. They, uh, they implemented some, uh, changes, that would uh, minimize the occurrence, some changes that uh, would accommodate the occurrence when they had the, uh, a battery heating issue like, uh, like they did. But they never really, really got down to the root cause, uh, at least not as reported in the press. Mm. And, and that's a little disconcerting. But uh, otherwise, I think they're, uh, they're in good shape. Yeah, let's hope so, because it is a great, awesome aircraft to see. You want it to be successful, don't you? Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so, oh, yeah. Because it's so great. Yeah, just just look at the uh, the the badge on the front of my cap, uh, which I wear when I learn to fly. It has the uh, the Boeing logo on the front. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So another piece of Virgin news then, um, and this one on the U-Switch site, and Virgin Atlantic plan to offer a seventy megabyte broadband on flights. Um, they're going to offer 70 megabyte download speeds um, of, as an ultra-fast broadband service uh, as the as you fly. 
Sir Richard Branson's airline will become the first European carrier to offer GoGo's in-flight broadband solution, which offers download speeds of up to 70 megabytes over a local Wi-Fi network. Uh, that's going to be from mid-2015. This will allow passengers to get online via their laptops, tablets and smartphones and take advantage of a full range of online services. In-flight ultra-fast Wi-Fi is being launched as part of a £300 million fleet upgrade being carried out by Virgin Atlantic. What do you think about this, uh, Max? Wi-Fi on aircraft, a good thing? Or um, you know, would you rather just sort of sit back, relax and uh, enjoy your holiday? Well, I think to most airline passengers, it's essential. Uh, people are uh, getting spoiled. I mean, people uh, have a lot of amazing services in their home and they look for the same kinds of, of service uh, up in the air. Um, the question is, 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 yeah, what's the scope of the, of the services? Uh, this, uh, this article uh, uses the word uh, you know, full service, but is that full service as the passengers define it or is that full service as, as Virgin Atlantic is going to define it? Mm. Uh, you know, if, uh, if, if everyone has got their laptop out uh, connected to Wi-Fi and is streaming uh, movies, <laughs> uh, then, uh, you know, even 70 megabytes uh, is, you know, that's going to reach uh, reach some limitations. And how much are they going to charge? And how much are they going to charge? Mm. And and that's very interesting, too, because, uh, you know, if you've got a model, an in-flight entertainment uh, system model that relies on uh, revenue from customers, well, if you give them Wi-Fi, uh, the, the thing that I've always said is that that allows passengers to create their own in-flight entertainment. Mm. Uh, and uh, if you, you know, can no longer charge people or people are not willing to pay money for the in-flight entertainment that the airline provides, the airline's left with just the ability to charge for the, uh, for the internet. And, you know, in, in some cases there's some price sensitivity there, uh, on the part of the passengers. And, mm. and I mean, we'll see where it goes. Uh, I, in the U.S. anyway, for example, uh, I, I look at hotels as an analogy. Uh, originally, many hotels that, that offered uh, wireless uh, charged you for that. Mm. But because of competitive pressures over time, really, it's it's free almost everywhere uh, in, the, in the hotels, at least in the U.S., the same thing could happen with airlines is uh, uh, the the uh, competition increases and as uh, people have higher expectations, we'll see. Maybe the price for in-flight will, in-flight internet will, will start to go down. I don't know if it'll ever be free. I'm sure the airlines hope that that's <laughs> not the case. Not with Ryanair. <laughs> If, if, definitely not with Ryanair. If it ever, ever comes uh, onto Ryanair, I, I, I dread to think what the charge will be for that. <laughs> so, so moving on, another story. You know, we love Ryan. I, I sorry to interrupt. Oh, go, go, go. We we love Ryanair. Because, really? <laughs> because of Ryanair, we have so much that we can talk about. That uh, that's uh, absurd, funny, everything in between. Uh, that's uh, a great source of entertainment. Ryanair is. I know Southwest is is a, a huge low cost carrier. Obviously, your side. Uh, yeah. or budget carrier, uh, whatever you want to call. Um, but it never gets, Southwest never gets talked about in the same kind of uh, way as uh, as our Ryanair does over here. No, I, I think that they aren't so prone to outlandish Complaints. statements <laughs> in the press. 
No, there's uh, there's always uh, there's always a piece of news you can find out about uh, something crazy that uh, Michael O'Leary's doing. Um, but uh, to be to be fair with him, he has just placed quite a good order with Boeing for aircraft. Yes, I saw that. Yes, which yes, is so. which is great news. Which is really good news. Sure. Yeah. So next piece of news then: Travel Mall, uh, Qantas uh, to remove life rafts on some of their aircraft. So Australia's biggest carrier, Qantas, is taking the bold step of removing life rafts from 38 planes that fly on domestic routes to cut down on fuel costs. Life rafts will still be deployed on aircraft that fly over long stretches uh, stretches of water, the airline said. The majority of our Boeing 737s operate between Australian mainland cities and do not fly over long stretches of water, so life rafts simply aren't required even as a precaution, said Mike Plotter, head of safety. The simple rule of thumb is that Qantas aircraft need to carry life rafts, which is all over all international uh, uh, flights over water, and about half of the 737s will have them on board, he added. Um, so that's kind of I don't know if it's kind of worrying or not I mean if these aircraft aren't flying over water I see it as as the uh, report is, says it, it that it will save on weight and obviously fuel costs and fuel burn costs um, but I don't know Max taking life rafts out of aircraft it just has kind of an evil ring to it doesn't it but you know I guess it makes sense if you have an airplane that doesn't fly over water it's mm. just carrying extra weight for uh, for nothing um, it, it does limit you, I guess. I mean, if, uh, you could end up in a situation where you have the wrong aircraft, right? You could have an aircraft that uh, goes down for, uh, maintenance, mm. uh, for, a, otherwise would be on a scheduled flight. And so you've got to bring in another airplane. Uh, I could envision the case where, you know, you don't want to bring in the wrong airplane or, well, you could bring in an airplane with uh, life rafts for an over, <laughs> over land flight, but you couldn't go the other way. And that might be kind of, Scary. Kind of limiting, um, you know. Th- this is—I'm sure it's much more complicated than than this. But mm. if if there are a number of airlines that also have the same kind of issue, then maybe a future design consideration would be some sort of arrangement where the life rafts could be inserted or removed easily uh, and quickly. Uh, so that you could, you know, you could configure the plane for the flight. If it's uh, over water, slap in the life the raft, raft cartridges, if you will. And if uh, if it's over land, uh, pull them out. I, I don't know if that makes sense or not. But, mm. This is on, this is on the 737, it says here. So you've got, uh, you'd have four, I think, Max. Would I be right in saying four life rafts on the 737? Two, uh, two at the right. rear, two at the front. Yeah, because the or would it be or would oh, I try to think now with the overwing exits now because they have the, the the chutes that come down I think do they have the chutes on the seven, on the yeah. overwing exits? But I think the main rafts are at the front doors, aren't they? At the front of the aircraft and the rear of the aircraft. But I suppose taking those away would save a, a lot of weight. But uh, be interesting to see. We'll follow that story and uh, see how that uh, comes along. So last you know piece what else would be interesting to to learn is how often, how many times a year. Are life rafts actually Tested. used? Mm, I'll definitely. You know, yeah. I can't think of a single case actually. Where I probably will later, but I can't think of a case now where there have been passengers floating around in the water on life rafts after exiting an airplane. I think the last one that I can personally remember, Max, was uh, the um, U.S. Airways on the A320. 
mm-hmm. uh, when that landed. I think I think they did deploy the the rafts. I think did they on that aircraft? Hmm. When it landed, I have to go uh, back and look. Yeah, I, I can't remember. I'll just remember the news, the new, the, the the actual video footage. Uh, I mean, usually if you go down in water, it's not a good thing. No, you know, life no. raft is usually not going to help you. No, no. So, bit of happy news to uh, end this uh, or end this side of the pie. In case Max has got any news, I don't know if he's got anything hidden away there, little gems to give us at the end. But uh, the last piece of news from the uh, from the UK here then. Uh, is on the Royal Air Force site. And uh, for those of you who follow the Red Arrows, uh, as you all know, Simon follows the Red Arrows. He loves the Red Arrows. Um, And uh, the Red Arrows have got their new team leader for the 2015 season. So the new team leader has been appointed uh, for the Royal Air Force aerobatic team, the Red Arrows. Squadron leader David Montenegro will fly as Red 1 in the 2015 season. The 38-year-old succeeds squadron leader Jim Turner, whose three-year tour as team leader finishes at the end of the current season. And the final 2014 display, um, which is going to take place on Sunday, the uh, 28th of September, in Malta. Oh, blimey, why can't they be there? Um, he's uh, flown as the team pilot between 2009 and 2011, and this will be squadron leader Montenegro's second term with the squadron, which is one of the world's premier aerobatic teams. Uh, have you seen the Red Arrows, Max, at all? In your no, only in photographs. But uh, you know, I think they're kind of masters of the colored smoke. Some of these uh, things they fly are just uh, really impressive. There's there's one photograph in this uh, in this article that you're that you're referencing. It's I think this particularly amazing. And you've got the the four uh, the four planes with the the white and blue smoke uh, kind of in, in in a parallel arc, and then the the plane with the red smoke curling around it. It just it's, oh, yeah. the graphic yeah, yeah. image is just it's just gorgeous. It's uh, it's it's really brilliant. Oh uh, yeah, well we've uh, we've obviously had we've followed the air show season quite uh, quite a lot this year, me and Simon, and uh, we've attended uh, all the big shows this year, and the Red Arrows have been at all those shows, and they've been fantastic, really have been fantastic this year, and obviously with their fiftieth display season uh, logo on the tail as well, um, they have had a really really good season this year, and we even got to interview one at uh, at Riyadh as well this year, which was which was brilliant. You know, I think you guys do air shows really, really well. I mean, we have some good air shows ourselves, but uh, in the UK, I think you guys just really know how to do air shows well. You have so many <laughs> great ones. I'll tell you, Max, if you ever get a chance, you you really have got to come over for either uh, Riyadh or Farnborough, um, you know, Farnborough in 2016. So if if I had to pick one of them. Which would you pick? Which one? Yeah, which one should I pick? I know it's a hard question, but... What would you pick? If I, I mean, for me, um, I think. Uh, I mean, I've been to Farnborough twice now, but um, it definitely for me it is Farnborough, definitely. Because I would, I would look maybe towards Riyadh. Yeah, but a huge military presence there at Riyadh. It was, yeah, uh, yeah. it was an awesome air show this year. It really was. Um, I think the date. I think they're. Well, whether the dates are online yet, I think the dates will come online sometime towards the end of this year for the 2015 season. Uh, but it's just a shame that farmers only every two years. Uh, mm. Great if it was every year, because um, a lot of uh, lot of business is done as well at Farnborough, as we know. 
Oh, absolutely. It's uh, yeah. The, the business aspect is fascinating and uh, it's, it's entertaining to watch sort of the, the politics of that. Uh, I mean, most of those deals that are, well, almost all those deals that are announced at farm. I mean, they, those deals were done well in advance of that. Obviously they're, mm. Uh, or at least the ones that get the public announcements and the, the things from Boeing and Airbus particularly. Uh, but uh, it's it, it's kind of fun to watch them uh, sort of work the numbers because there's a lot of competition between the, the airframers in terms of you know, how many orders. And people always count orders, uh, which has always been interesting to me because to the company, that's really not all that important. What's more important is how much money are you making from these deals. In some cases, you're not making any money at all. Mm. Uh, but, uh, but the numbers are what people seem to uh, seem to watch the order numbers. So Max, I know you've got to, uh, you've got to get away soon, but have you got any, uh, any interesting pieces of news or uh, anything from your side? Well, uh, you know, we have uh, had a kind of an interesting week from the uh, unmanned vehicle standpoint. Now, a lot, it's interesting here in the U.S. because the the FAA is taking a very conservative approach when it comes to commercial use of unmanned uh, aerial vehicles at the same, which is understandable because that's that's what they do. Uh, at the same time, the uh, pilots over here, of course, are, well, I'll say pretty pretty nervous about having little drones or even large drones flying around in the national airspace. And then you have people that are uh, sort of with entrepreneurial kind of aspirations, people that uh, look to all the business opportunities that are available. And uh, there's sort of this big uh, conflict uh, between the different groups. Uh, just this week, just yesterday, in fact, the the FAA granted uh, some exemptions to a group of production companies, uh, movies, uh, videos, uh, commercials, that, that sort of thing, to use small drones uh, in the production of uh, of their uh, their their videos. Oh, wow. uh, there's uh, a lot of restrictions. Uh, they have to, uh, for example, stay below 400 feet. Um, there has to be a certified pilot in, in command, uh, which is kind of interesting because, uh, you know, that, that's kind of a pretty high skill level, uh, level to, uh, require for flying, uh, you know, a, a, a small drone. Uh, but, uh, but that just happened, uh, and then at the same time or almost the same time, the FAA announced that, uh, commercial drones in the U S were going to have to have tail numbers and uh, numbers over here, uh, and so people are wondering, well, okay, if, if it's a if it's a big aircraft, uh, that that's possible. But how do you put a how do you put a tail number on a DJI Phantom, for example? Uh, <laughs> kind of kind of difficult. Uh, but there's a process for that. So uh, there's there's a lot going on uh, in that arena. Uh, but I know uh, different countries are taking uh, a different looks at it over uh, on your side of the pond. Uh, the uh, the EC is is looking at uh, how can there be some uh, sort of harmonized uh, requirements for unmanned aerial vehicles uh, over in the EU, and uh, we're we're looking. I think that's uh, in the first half of uh, next year, 2015, looking for some guidance 
or some regulations that uh, address that issue. Right now, it's kind of a hodgepodge across the, the EU countries in terms of uh, what are the what's the definition of you know a UAV and uh, what are the what are the requirements of the regulations uh, for each of them. So th- that that's a big growth area. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, you know, everybody's interested in, in it, not just uh, from uh, the standpoint of the regulators and standpoint of the operators of these kinds of aircraft, but also from the rest of the aviation industry in terms of making sure that the things are safe and we don't have uh, <laughs> these uh, craft flying all over the place, delivering packages and um, you're doing all, you know, taking videos and uh, doing all kinds of different things that could interfere with with air traffic. So it's a it's a big uh, it's a big area, a lot of concern uh, all over the place. And if listeners want to find out more, they can obviously follow uh, you and David on the UAV Digest. Right on the UAV Digest. Uh, so we uh, we talk about things. It's just it's a shorter podcast. We try to keep it to. Uh, Half an hour each week uh, comes out at the end of the week. I, w- I wish it was longer, but that's just me. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> you, I know you, we, you have so many things to do, Max, so many podcasts, so you've only got limited time. That, that's really the, uh, the, the driver. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we could easily uh, uh, go longer. And I have in mind a couple of other podcasts that might be kind of great. Uh, but, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's only so many hours in a week. Excellent. Right, Max. Well, I'm going to let you get away uh, because you've got uh, loads of things to be doing, and obviously your uh, your your time difference at the moment is putting you as uh, as first thing in the morning. So uh, you've only you haven't been up long. Um, no, I haven't been up very long at all. I, <laughs> I'm I hope I've been at least a little bit lucid for those listening. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been really really great uh, of you to come on the show, Max. Absolutely fantastic. Um, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure. Our listeners will love uh, hearing you on the show, so that's great. Well, it's been a real pleasure, I, you know, and I really am enjoying uh, Plain Talking UK. It's, oh, thank uh, you, Max. As I mentioned at the start, yeah, you. We mentioned this last time. You know, if you go back and listen to one of your uh, early ones, early episodes, <laughs> you know, yeah. at the time they felt maybe not bad, but uh, it, with uh, the passage of time, um, you, you realize that uh, you've gotten better at it, and I, I think that. Uh, the two of you have gone down that learning curve really quickly and have gotten to a, a you know a really quality podcast uh, with, uh, with with amazing speed so uh, thank, thank you, you guys for creating <laughs> such uh, such great content that's very kind of you and uh, um, make sure you uh, send our regards as well obviously to uh, Rob and David won't you I sure will excellent so uh, for our listeners then, before you go, Max, um, obviously we've talked about the UAV Digest with you and David. So where else uh, can our listeners find you? Well, you can uh, find me on Twitter at Max Flight. Uh, I also Google Plus if you look for on Mac, as Max Flight. If you look for me on Facebook, you'll find me there, but I, I'm never there. So <laughs> you can't. <laughs> I'm not a big Facebook fan. I, I like Google Plus. Uh, the community's there a little bit, uh, a little bit better. Um, otherwise, on uh, Airplane Geeks, uh, I also do a, a podcast with Mary Kirby. Mary's uh, created something called the Runway Girl Network. Oh, she's great. Mary is amazing. Uh, you want to talk about someone who knows uh, airlines, not just a passenger experience part of it, but uh, just has a, a huge depth of, of knowledge in that area. Uh, very good. And she's created an interesting network of, 
of folks, a lot of women, but not exclusively, uh, but just some fantastic writers that produce uh, just really, really good content. So uh, I really recommend people take a look at uh, the Runway Girl Network. Uh, but she uh, has a podcast that I co-host with her, and uh, you can find that over there um, as well. It's called the PaxX Podcast for Passenger Experience, P-A-X-E-X. And that's on iTunes uh, as well, yeah. And that's on iTunes as well, yeah. Awesome. So that's a that's a great one. A little bit, um, well, regularity has been an issue with the, the episodes lately. Um, they're running about once a month, so not as frequently as uh, we may see in the future. But uh, Mary's working on that. Excellent. Well, we're going to bring episode 32 to a close end of the Plain Talking UK podcast. Don't forget you can uh, contact us via our website at www.plaintalkinguk.com. And you can also send us some voice feedback, some uh, an email of MP3 file. And you can also find us on Facebook, don't forget. Just search for us, Plain Talking UK. We're also on Twitter, so you can follow us on Twitter. Just search for us, Plain Talking UK. And you'll see us on there. We love uh, to hear from uh, the listeners. Um, we've also, uh, coming in the next coming episodes, uh, we're going to run a competition as well to uh, win some Plain Talking UK calendars, uh, which are in the process of being produced, which are going to look pretty awesome uh, on you all, which will be great. So, Max, thanks again massively for coming on the show. Uh, we've overrun a bit, so I hope that's okay. <laughs> well, again, thank you for having me. I've had a great time. Okay, that Max, and thanks for your time. And uh, I look forward very much to your next episode of the Airplane Geeks. Thank you. Okay, then. So take care, everyone. And uh, from me, it's a sunny, mm, fairly warm goodbye. And from you, Max, yeah, it's it's a it's a very chilly, cloudy, but goodbye anyway. Okay, Max. Bye then. <laughs> <laughs>